Come on, let's just stand and give Jesus a clap. Let's give him all the honor. Come on, we're starting the year. Let's make it a great thing. Jesus, we honor you. We bless you. We give you thanks. We invite you to come and power. We open our hearts to receive. We want to learn and be taught of you, Lord. We commit this year to you. May it be a year of revelation and expansion. In Jesus' name, amen. Give someone a high five before you sit down. Great, thank you very much. Uh, hey, we've got a special welcome for those who are watching online, and uh, I know you'll be watching from around the world. Great to have you with us, and uh, my prayer is that God will open your eyes as I share this message today, that it'll touch your heart and shift you in your thinking and your priorities for the coming year. Now, how many remember at the uh, end of last year, I shared a message called The Arrival of Earth's King? The Arrival of Earth's King. How many enjoyed that? Awesome, great. Well, I, I felt actually as I was praying for what to do, I've got two Sundays to, to speak this Sunday, next Sunday, that I would make it into a series of three. So the last message, or the first message, uh, one of three, was the arrival of Earth's King. And we talked about the majesty of Jesus' arrival and his coming as a king to reestablish his kingdom in the earth. This message I want to share will be called the message of the king. The message of the king, what he came to say. And then uh, the, the third message I will share will be called the coming of the king. And uh, we want to look at the return of the king. That'll be great. The return of the king. It sounds like something out of the movies, doesn't it? The return of the king. Actually, it came out of the Bible. <laughs> we'll, get, we'll get on to that later. Okay, then. So what I want to share is I want to, to uh, open your heart and eyes to the message of the kingdom. And here's one of the reasons why. Number one, from a personal point of view, this changed my life when I heard it. My life just took a totally different course when God dropped into my heart revelation of his kingdom. Yet I have noticed, and it's been the message that's kept us enduring because of the hope that it brings. And uh, what I noticed though is that all around the world, there's relatively little teaching in the church about the kingdom of God. So if I ask Christians, what is the kingdom of God? What does that mean? The results would be very varied. So I want to help you understand it, and I want to open up and, and teach and share some things with you. The first thing is that the kingdom of God is central to God's plan. The kingdom of God is the central theme to God's eternal purpose. It is central. In other words, it runs like a river through the Bible from Genesis right through to Revelation. And every aspect of what you see going on in the, in the Bible is opening up aspects and windows into God's plan for his kingdom and the sons and daughters he would raise to rule with him in that kingdom. So the whole Bible expresses it in, a, in an unfolding way. And uh, beginning in Genesis, when Adam, perhaps you haven't thought of this, Adam was made king of the earth. He was made king of the earth. He was given dominion. That means you're in charge. So he was made king of the earth. And yet we recognize that when uh, he, uh, he fell, uh, he was overcome by his enemy, and then he lost the rulership that God had given him. So the life we're born into and the world we're born into is radically different to what Adam had before he fell. 
the world we live in and the world we experience is radically shifted spiritually, physically, in every kind of way from what it was when mandate and authority was given to Adam. And the Bible is very clear that the gospel of the kingdom, it tells us in, in, in say for example, Matthew 24, 14, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations, then the end will come. So notice it says, not the gospel as Jesus wants to save you and give you a good life. That is not the gospel that God wants to preach. It's not even what Jesus preached. Yet it's what the church preaches in many places, fortunately not here. So the Bible is very clear that before the end comes, there won't be a nation in the earth that doesn't hear the gospel of the kingdom. So question then for you to think about, can I articulate the gospel of the kingdom? Or am I ignorant really of what it is? Good question, isn't it? Good question. <laughs> and so the Bible begins with uh, Adam as being made king of the earth and failing. The Bible ends with Jesus and sons and daughters being king over all of God's creation and the plan being fulfilled. Think about that. So from the beginning, from the beginning, God intended his kingly dominion would extend from the spirit realm into the physical world. God has a kingdom. And so it was in the spirit realm, the realm of the spirit, the eternal realm. But his intention was he would extend his governance, his kingdom into the physical realm, into the physical earth that he had created. And he would accomplish the extension of his kingdom by working through the humans he created. Now people look and they say, well, how come God allows all this evil in the earth? That's not God's problem. God entrusted the earth to men and he still entrusted the earth to men. The evil in the earth is the consequence of men's decisions. God has initiated a plan to do something about it. It's just people don't want to acknowledge the plan and the key person in that plan, Jesus Christ. Any idea? So because of Adam's abdication, he was silent at the time he should have spoken up because he abdicated his role of leadership, he became overcome by his enemy and the world has suffered spiritual blindness and bondage ever since. That's the origin of all wars and fightings. It's all spiritual in its origin. And it's caused because God's representative was overthrown. Now just think about that for a moment. If all of the conflict, wars, turmoil, everything that's going on that's negative in the earth was because of the overthrow of God's representative, how much chaos is in families because of the overthrow of men and their leadership role in the family? You can't fix problems without going God, back to God's plan. Now here's the next thing. The fall of man did not change God's plan. See, God didn't think, oh, well, he's fallen. I better come up with a plan. Jesus, will you step in and fix it? it kind of is, that's how people kind of think, but it is not like that. God living in eternity can look at time and the passage of time, like opening up the pages of a book. You start the book and you watch it, read it, get to the end. You can step into it at any moment. So God foresaw it all and he had already planned a resolution to it. Notice there, the fall does not change the plan. If you don't know the plan, you're in trouble. See, so Malachi 3.6, I'm the Lord, I don't change. God doesn't change. He had a plan, 
He'd extend his kingdom through the earth and he'd use human people to do it. He hasn't changed. It's still how he does it. Secondly, in Numbers 14, 21, it's truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. So there's going to come a time in history we have not seen it. But that doesn't mean it won't happen. Just because you didn't see it. If you'd come, say, maybe 50 years ago, we wouldn't have seen computers either, but now they are here. Wouldn't have seen these digital phones, but now everyone's using them. So just because we didn't see it doesn't mean it won't happen. It will happen, and the reason it will happen is because God has declared it will happen, and he's the Lord who does not change. He says, as truly as I live, God's saying, I'm giving you my word. The whole earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. The nature of God, the presence of God, the blessing of God, the miracles of God, the healing power of God. There are many scriptures that talk about that. It says in one other passage, it says, the whole earth will be filled with knowledge of it. It's not going to be a hidden thing like a little group of people having a buzz. This is something visible, seen everywhere. So... God has enacted a plan before the foundation of the world to make this happen. You, you can't catch God by surprise. I tricked you. No, it doesn't work like that. He's already got the, he saw a hit, see? So, so it says in Revelations 13, 8, Jesus was the lamb slain from before the foundation of the world. So before God even started the world and initiated the plan, he said, Jesus, I know they're going to blow it and I've got a way that we're going to resolve it and show the greatness and glory of our kingdom and our, and our nature. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to undertake to go into the earth and they haven't invented crosses yet, but by the time you get there, they'll have invented crosses and I'm going to want you to give your life as the lamb slain from the foundation of the earth. So Jesus stepping into history was not the backup plan. It was part of the original plan that is still unraveling. So you can look at all the chaos and say, this is terrible and terrible. What's God doing about it? He's got a plan in place. Just get on with his plan instead of moaning about what's happening. So, 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 so the, the restoration, the restoration of God's rulership over the earth through man is essential to our faith. If you don't understand that that's where God is going and what he's going to do, you look at all this control and stuff that's happening around the world and start to get into panic and fear and angry reactions at the injustices you're seeing. Don't get it reacting to it all. Find out what God's plan is and get on board with God's plan. There's so many Christians are in a warlike, aggressive, reactionary mode. They're not displaying the kingdom at all. They're in a fight against some enemy. The Bible tells us our enemies are not people, they are spiritual powers. It's a, dim, it's a dimension of the kingdom. So Daniel saw it. Daniel saw, see, this. If and, and I'm not, I don't want to go too far into this, I want to save it for next week. But Daniel saw the end of it. He saw the end of it. He saw it in a number of places. Let me just read you a scripture. Daniel 7, 13. I was watching in a night vision and one like the Son of Man, that's Jesus, coming on the clouds of heaven. He came to the ancient of days, the Father, and they brought him near before him. And then to him was given dominion, glory, a kingdom. Here it is. That all, 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 all peoples, all nations, all languages would serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. It will never pass away. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. That is a great message. 
That is a great vision. That is the end game. Now don't get caught up in the drama on the way. Keep the end game in mind. Learn the scriptures. Mark them in your Bible. In Daniel 2, uh, verse 44, he says, In the days of these kings, the God of heaven shall set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. It shall be not left to another people. It will break in pieces and consume all other kingdoms and will stand forever. Now, you need to know those verses. You need to look into the book of Daniel. Daniel 7, Daniel 2, Daniel 10. Start to look and study what God has to say. And then you look into the book of Revelation, Revelation 5, John saw the same thing and added more details to it. I'll touch on some of these things next week. All of this is quite a large topic to try and go. So I'm trying to get it in ways that you will just grasp it. Get the idea? Okay, so now let's have a look then at the purpose. Why did Jesus come? Why did he come? Well, if we were asked you to explain it, why did he come? You know, well, he came to save us. Whoa, okay, he came to save us, but actually at the, at the, if, you, if the plan was a one to 10, that's about a one in it. You, you gotta see the fullness of the plan, you see? Every person that is born into this world is born with an assignment from God. Every person, you are not here by random or accident, you are brought into the world by God to fulfill a purpose that comes from him and is wired into you. Jesus, when he came, was sent with an assignment. And if you didn't know what the assignment is, you can read it in the Bible. Galatians 4, verse four and five, here it is. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. He didn't send an angel. He sent what was most precious to him, his son, into the world. And why did he, born under the law, I said, here it is, to redeem those who are under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. Now, I'm not gonna expand it too much because these open up lots of things. So, so notice there, he sent in to redeem us that we might receive something. So get us free of something that we might get into something. So you understand that getting free of something is not the whole goal. Coming into what God intended is. So the word redeem means to pay a full price to rescue someone who's held in bondage. So Jesus came to redeem us, to rescue us out of the problem of sin, demonic powers, the bondage of the law, the consequences of the law. He wanted to rescue us out of that by paying the full price for us so we could receive something called the adoption of sons. And that's not just finding a stray and adopting them in your family. This means literally, it's the word huyothesia, son, full, mature son, placed into their privileges of ruling with their father. That's what, he's, that's what the purpose is. That's what the plan is. So you could break it down into things like this. His purpose was this, if I put it in several steps, to proclaim the arrival of the kingdom of God on earth to man. He came to proclaim the kingdom. Okay, second thing, he came to demonstrate the reality and power of the kingdom. I want to show it. So not just tell you, tell and show. So that's the miracles. Thirdly, he wanted to teach the values and the priority and the conditions to enter the kingdom. He wanted to teach about the kingdom, how to enter it, what its values are, what its priorities are. Have you studied those? 
Have you got into the New Testament, read Jesus' teaching to discover what he taught about what it means to enter the kingdom and what the priorities of the kingdom are and what the values of the kingdom are? If you don't know those things, you will live according to the values of the, and the lifestyle and the rule of the world. We are to be a different people because we have embraced something quite different. Uh, he, not only that, he, he, he also came to invite all to enter. He extends an invitation, all are invited to enter his kingdom. No exceptions, no matter how bad people are, all are invited to enter the kingdom and become sons, daughters, and citizens of his kingdom. That's what the invitation is. So he doesn't, inv he doesn't invite you to get free of your problems. He doesn't invite you to get a little blessing and ask Jesus into your life and carry on living. He invites you into a kingdom to become a son, part of a family, a royal family, and to become a citizen, part of a whole different governmental arrangement. It's different. We'll get on to that in a moment. You get the idea? So once you start to see these things, and then there's more. He came to prepare and train those citizens, sons and daughters, so they could qualify to share with him in governing over the earth when he came back. That's the bit people resist. You try and correct someone's life, they react and get fussy. How immature. But, but to gain access to the full privileges of the kingdom, we must commit to the journey of submitting to the king and letting him grow us. That would be your challenge for this year. He came also to restore the rulership or kingdom rulership of God on the earth by his death on the cross and overcoming the devil. So, so now what I've done is I've tried to expand what the kingdom message of Jesus is about. It's not just he came and he died on the cross for our sins. That is a very shallow understanding. The purpose of dying on the cross was to break the hold and legal rights of the devil over the earth to restore government back to man. He was our representative in doing that. And hence, he came and his message was proclaiming the kingdom of God is here. It's available. Show what it's like through deliverance, healing and various miracles. Teach the priorities and values of it and what it means to enter it. See, this is Jesus, what Jesus came to do. That's his purpose, why he came. See, to invite everyone who is willing to embrace him as their king to then participate in that kingdom. <laughs> okay, how are we getting on? So I'm trying to just put it out in steps that are really, really simple and clear to get. Okay then, now what I want to look at is, the, is what, at the message Jesus preached. So we see what he came to do. Now you'll see in everything he did, that's fulfilled. Okay, so what did he preach? He preached an extremely simple message yet very deep. And then he elaborated it in all kinds of ways. He preached the kingdom of heaven is available on earth to you now if you respond to the king, Jesus. That's pretty simple, isn't it, eh? See, and so notice when he preached, so this is his message when he preached. He preached the same thing John the Baptist said, Matthew four seventeen: repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. So what he's saying is the king is now here. 
That's why last message was the arrival of the king. When he stood up to preach his first message is, the king is here. The kingdom is here because the king is here. It's available to you. And so therefore, repent because this is near. Repentance is the action of turning away from doing life wrong and embracing a new way of life because the kingdom is made available to you now. How about that? And so, and Jesus' message was given to him by his father. He didn't come, now let me have a think what I'll say when I come down there. The father told him exactly what he wanted to tell him. He said, there's the message. It's about the kingdom. Now, I'm not going to open up any of these scriptures, but I just want to show you that the total focus of Jesus' teaching was the kingdom of God. If you will have a look at it again, he didn't preach about how to get saved. He didn't preach about the church. He preached the kingdom of God. This is his theme. This is what he taught. So at the beginning of his ministry, we saw at that time, Matthew 4, 17, Jesus began to preach saying, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, next time you hear him preaching, what's the significant one we heard was what's called the Sermon on the Mount. You all know the Sermon on the Mount. How many know that the Sermon on the Mount is about the culture, values, and priorities of the kingdom? See, so we get this nice sort of Christian thing, a lovely sermon on the mount, blessed are the poor. And so, listen, he is showing how the kingdom life is lived, what heart qualities are needed to experience the blessings of the kingdom. So Matthew 5, 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, or people who are humble and hungry for God, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What he's saying is that God pours out his spirit, his blessing and his favor upon those who are humble and seek him and are hungry for him. He's saying how the kingdom operates. So if God's not blessing you, don't look at someone else, look at yourself and say, well, perhaps there's something in my heart I need to shift. In Matthew 5.11, he said, Blessed are those when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you, falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. Now he's talking about heaven being a place where there are rewards. He didn't say heaven is your reward. Rewards are in heaven, ready to be manifested at his coming. So he said, if you're persecuted and get a hard time, don't whinge and keep coming up on altar calls. Rejoice and be glad because God has a reward prepared for you if you have a good attitude. In Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father in heaven. Now that's, he's talking now not about experiencing the kingdom now, he's talking about the future aspect of the kingdom and he's saying, yep, everyone is available to get into the kingdom now. However, to be part of the glory of the coming kingdom, you need to get aligned and do what God wants you to do. It's a bit tough when we get into these. When Jesus taught people to pray, how did he teach them to pray? Matthew 6, pray like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Notice everything he touches and talks about is about the kingdom. When he, he did the parables of the kingdom, you know Jesus taught many parables, he spoke to them in parables. Now you get, get past that word parable, it's a story with a spiritual insight, but look what they say, uh, 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 Matthew 13, 18, hear then the parable of the sower, anyone hears the word of the kingdom but doesn't understand it and get it, then the evil one comes, snatches away what's sown in his heart, 
this is what was sown on the path. So the whole parable of the sower is a parable of how fruit bearing takes place in the kingdom. Everyone gets to hear the message, but how your heart condition is determines whether you're fruitful. And some people have got stony heart. Some people are by the wayside. Some people have got hearts that are full of weeds. And some people have got a good heart and when they hear the word of the kingdom, the word of the kingdom changes them. Jesus said in Mark 4, the message of the kingdom, if you can't understand the message of the kingdom, how will you understand any of the parables? The sower, the message of the sower is the key foundational parable. Go and have a look at it again. And don't look and think I'm the good ground. Have a look and decide whether there's any stony or weedy parts in your life that are choking you being fruitful. Being fruitful doesn't mean you just turn up. Being fruitful means your life has an influence and an impact on others. <laughs> okay, so what about when Jesus, uh, well, there's, there's heaps like that. Here's another one, Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in the field. A man finds it, he covers up, and for his joy he sold everything to buy the field. Now he's saying, this thing of the kingdom, so valuable if you can get it, you'll give up everything just to have this because it's so valuable. In other words, he said, he, a guy found a treasure in the field. And he said, whoa, that's huge. I'll give everything to get that field, then I'll have that. He's just talking about priorities, of course. What about when Jesus commissioned the apostles? So when he commissioned the apostles and then later on the 70 and sent them out, he told them what to preach. What do you reckon he told them? Come on, you must be getting it by now. This is what he said. Matthew 10, 7. And proclaim as you go, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. They would echo his message. In Matthew 10, verse 8, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You've received freely, now give freely. And to the disciples, the 70, heal the sick and say, the kingdom of heaven is near you. So notice, this is a constant theme. It doesn't change. So if it's what he made priority, why would you not make it priority? And in, in all the stuff that you decide you're going to listen to this year, why not you start to find things and search for things and focus on things that talk about the kingdom and address things from a kingdom perspective? There's lots of stuff around. It's like junk food. It doesn't do you any good. It feels good, but it doesn't do you any good. So after Jesus rose from the dead, so he's got 40 days before he goes to heaven, he's going to have a talk to the disciples. What's he going to say? Man, it was great. It's great to be in a resurrected body. You want to see what I can do? Poof! See how I can show. Now listen, he didn't do that. In Acts 1.3, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days, speaking about the kingdom of God. Wow. That's his only message. So then that raises the question, if the message he had, the gospel, meaning a good news, is about the kingdom of God, what is a kingdom? Now we live in democracy, therefore we don't think kingdom. We think, well, I think. Well, I'd like to vote. I got a say in this. Man, that is so not kingdom. And the sooner you get a hold of that, the easier life will go for you. You want to walk in blessing, understand how the kingdom works. Because you have been taken out of a democracy and out of an evil kingdom and put, in, and put into the kingdom of God. Therefore, you need to learn what it is now it operates. How to run your life by kingdom principles. So, so all kingdoms have got a number of things, you know. So, so if you look at kingdoms, natural kingdoms, they all have characteristics that are the same. And uh, the kingdom of God is no different. So let me give you a few other things. They all have a king. 
king who rules. They all have citizens. They're part of the kingdom. They all have a laws and a culture. See, they have a territory. See, think about that. They have an economic system. They usually have an army. They have a, an order and way of administrating the kingdom, roles and responsibilities. And they also have a system of honours and rewards. Do you notice that nations have that? Especially kingdoms have that. Now the kingdom of God is exactly the same. The trouble is we haven't recognised we've been transferred, we belong to another kingdom. We're still trying to live and think and operate like we're living in another old kingdom. Any idea? Okay, so let's just go through these things and I'm not going to go through them all. I'll, take, I'll pick four because they're quite interesting to get, to, just to get these. First of all, all kingdoms have a king that rules. All king. The one thing that makes a kingdom a king, it's got a king. So we've got a king. Whether we like him or not, it's another thing. Psalm 103, 19, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens. His kingdom rules over all. So the primary meaning of a kingdom means the rule of a king. A king is boss in the kingdom. Get the idea? And so the king is the central part of the kingdom. He represents and manifests the nature of the kingdom. So the kingdom of the devil reflects his nature. The kingdom of God reflects his nature. God is a good king. God is a good king. And so being under his rule is gonna be really good for us. Think about that. So the kingdom of God expresses his nature. So what will be in the kingdom of God? Well, the first thing will be honour. People are honoured and valued. Not pulled out. Love, God is love. Therefore, his kingdom will be characterised by love, kindness and patience. His kingdom will be characterised by service because it's a servant kingdom. His kingdom will characterise by justice because he's a just God. So if we're going to be in his kingdom, then we will start to live out and experience these kind of things. That's the way the kingdom operates. So in a kingdom, the king is the final source of authority. You don't have a parliament. You don't have a local MP. You don't have all these things. You only go to the king. Now you may layer it, but at the end, the king is the final say. He, his, the king is never voted in. He's never voted out. The king is the king. He's there because he was born to be king. He's there by his birth. So you can't vote him in, vote him out. No, I don't like this king, we have another. Well, there is that, and people usually don't like the outcome. So a king's word is law. So what he says goes. And the king stands behind his laws, he backs them up. Think about that. See, so, so the king owns, another thing is a king, you may not have realised this, but the king owns everything in his kingdom. He owns the land, the resources, he owns the people. That's what a kingdom is like. So that's why you want a good king. If it's a bad king, he'll abuse all the people and take all the money. So, so, so the king owns everything. Here's another thing is a king chooses who can be a citizen in his kingdom. You can't sort of turn up and say, oh, I want to live here, this is nice. No, you've got to be invited by the king into the kingdom. You can't even come and be a citizen here unless you are made welcome by the government. They keep lots of people out. So it's the same in the kingdom. You get any idea? So the kingdom of God primarily is his, 
kingdom or his rule. So notice in, in Mark 10, 15, Jesus said, receive the kingdom of God like little children. So what is it when you receive the kingdom of God you receive? Are you receiving the church? Are you receiving a ministry? Are you receiving a blessing when you receive the kingdom? What are you receiving? You are receiving the rule of a king. You're welcoming him to rule your life and your decisions and priorities. So the problem the church has had is they had not taught the kingdom. It's taught Jesus is Savior, Jesus is Lord, but we leave that one out because Jesus is Savior is an easier message. You can just come and get saved and Jesus loves you. Everything's going to be right. No, it's not all going to be right because you've only got part of the message and you've only got part of Jesus. He is the king and you are invited into his kingdom to receive his rule in your life. I went quiet on that one, didn't I? Have a think about that one. But that's what you received. It's what you received. So if we've received God's rule, what will count when the kingdom comes is not whether we gave our heart to Jesus as much as did I submit to the king's rule in my life? And many will say, Lord, Lord, we did this and did that and did whatever. And he said, I didn't know you. You're not intimate with me. You were workers of iniquity. You did what you wanted. You used the gifts I gave you just to build yourself and make yourself a reputation. Ooh, it gets, gets tough when you see what the word of God, this is what Jesus taught. That's what he taught. So go through these scriptures. Okay, then. and of course, Jesus so Jesus told us to make it a priority to seek the kingdom. What does that mean? To seek his rule. Make it your priority to bring your life into relationship with him and into order and function like he intended. So he's got an order for your personal life, an order for your marriage, an order for your family, an order for your finances, an order for your relationships, an order for how you do business, how you govern. He's got a way of doing it. Well, I like my way. Well, good luck with that. But don't expect the king to bless you with privileges and favor. It, it says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, his way of doing things, and then he will supply for you all you need. Because one of the things about being in a kingdom is if you've submitted to the king, he is responsible for you. And if he's responsible, if he's responsible for your provision, and for your protection. And that's why so many people in the world are stressing out because they're responsible for everything and they're burdened by it because there's a pressure comes around with it. But if I have submitted it all to the Lord, I can be absolutely confident my Father will come through for me because his word declares I'm the subject of his kingdom. I put his kingdom first. He says he will supply what I need. I don't have to be worried. Just keep going forward. Man, oh man. There's a word right there. <laughs> How about that? Okay, so, so the next thing about citizens. So the second aspect of a kingdom is citizens. Citizen. Citizens are the people who live under the rule of a king. Any idea? So now here's the thing. Formally, formally, before you came to Christ, you were citizens of another kingdom. See, you were citizens of another kingdom. A citizen is someone living under the rule of someone. Well, I was doing my own thing. No, you weren't. Here's what the Bible says you were doing. In Ephesians 2, verse 1 and 2, 
before you were in, uh, got saved, you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, get this, following, following the age of this world and its order, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit now at work in the sons of disobedience. Hello? See, so people are not saved, think they're all fine and doing their own thing. They're not. They're all following the course of this age, this present evil age, under the power of a demonic spirit. They're all influenced by the values of that thing. So if you're in the culture of New Zealand, you're influenced by the culturals, by the spirits that dominate the culture. It takes an intentional effort to find what God wants and live differently. Now, now here's a wonderful thing that happened when you got saved. In, it's found in Colossians 1 verse 13, when you, when you got saved, when you gave your life to Christ, legally you were transferred out of one kingdom and put into another. You got another citizenship. Isn't that nice? You can go to Australia and apply for citizenship in, in Australia and preferably they want you to give up New Zealand citizenship. People come here and they want New Zealand citizenship. Often they'll tell them you've got to give it up over there. You can't have it in two places. You've got to have it in one. See? So here's what it tells us. Colossians 1.13, he has delivered us from the power of darkness. That word power is the word authority or rule of darkness. So when you got saved, you were rescued. You couldn't even rescue yourself out of it. You were rescued and someone paid the price to, let, to get you legally free from a kingdom that was ruling your life. And then it says he has translated us into the kingdom of the son of his love. So we're put into another kingdom. So notice that before you came to Christ, you were in another kingdom, an evil kingdom called the authority of darkness where everything's secretive, covered up, and it doesn't function. And you're brought into a new kingdom, which is the kingdom of God characterized by love. How about that? So you're in a new kingdom. So citizenship of the kingdom is not just a, it's not a right. Well, I demand you let me in. No, it's a privilege. You have a privilege. You're part of the kingdom of God. You're a son, a daughter of a king. You're part of a, of, of a, of a, a, a kingdom. See, the word, uh, in, say for example, in Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven from which we eagerly await for our saviour, the Lord or King Jesus Christ, who will transform our body and conform it to his glorious body. So citizenship means you belong to a form of government. So you are a new citizen. You're a citizen of heaven. You belong in a new governmental system. You've got to learn how to work in it, live in it. Does that make sense to you? So citizenship then involves some responsibilities. What's your responsibilities? If you're, the, the, well, here's the thing. If you think about New Zealand, if you come and live in New Zealand, you can't be selling information to the enemy. It's called treason. You, you can't be having a secret deal with someone who's a hostile agent from China or Russia or some other thing. If you do that, you're called a traitor. You're treasonous to whom? To your government. So Jesus also taught... Funnily enough, in the Sermon on the Mount. He taught in the Sermon on the Mount, you can't have loyalty to money and to God. He said the power behind money is a spiritual power called the spirit of mammon. God is also a spirit. You can't divide your loyalties. No man can serve two masters. You serve one, you love one, you hate the other, love one, love the other and hate this one. You can't have it both ways. So in, in the kingdom, one of the requirements of citizens is loyalty to your king. You're called to be loyal to your king. Your primary loyalty is to your new king, the one who gave his life for you. You are loyal to him. And that loyalty is above everyone and everything else. See? Uh, like Jesus put it in another place, he said, 
If you love father, mother, son, daughter more than you love me, you're not worthy of me. You, you put them and their interests ahead of me and my kingdom. And this is where a lot of Christians fail because they put their children, their spouse, their money, their whatever, ahead of their loyalty to serve Christ. And then they wonder why it's not working for them. Of course it's not working for you. God will only endorse what he's ordered. Put him first. And then he blesses everything else. God's not a taker, he's a giver. So you've got nothing to fear. He's a lover. So you've got nothing to fear by submitting to him and following his guidance and order and, your, and his pattern for marriage. Well, I don't think this, I don't think it. Listen, there's so much rubbish out there coming into the world now to totally erode culture and destroy marriage, family, everything. Get on board with the kingdom plan. Get on board with God's plan. So you enjoy favour and blessing. You're a citizen now. So the first responsibility is loyalty to the king and the second responsibility is to submit to him and remain in right standing. That's what's called righteousness. How about that? Getting all quiet. It gets quiet as I get into the, There's so much on the kingdom. But anyway, I'm just helping you understand this. What it, so here's another thing. All kingdoms have laws. You notice New Zealand's got laws and may not agree with them all, but anyway, there are laws. And so a third, third aspect of every kingdom is there are laws in culture. So how many of you know the laws of the kingdom? How many understand the culture of the kingdom? Well, you've got to study it and find out what Jesus taught. Fortunately, he summarised it. Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and love your neighbour as yourself. That summarises all the laws. That's pretty good, isn't it? It's the law of love. It's the number one law in the kingdom of God. So if you're getting bitchy and resentful and offended and stuff, you are violating the laws of the kingdom. It's true. The Bible says very clearly in Psalms, it says, those who love your law, nothing will offend them. Yet I see all these people are offended. I can only conclude you don't love the laws of God. You're not inclined to do what he wants you to do. You'd rather hold on to your feelings and your offenses and whatever and find yourself out of church in some other terrible place. Come on. It's all in there. It's all in there. So, so the law consists of the standards, the principles, the king established. And here's the thing, the laws of the kingdom of God reflect how he does life. They reflect who he is. And Jesus said this, he said, I didn't come away to do away with the law, Matthew 5, 17. Don't think I come to destroy it. I didn't come to destroy it. I come to fulfill it. So heaven and earth may pass away, but my words will never pass away. So get into the word of God. Find out what he has to say. The kingdom, the, here's the thing. The laws of the kingdom are not external, they're internal. What is the difference between a Christian nation and the kingdom of God? Massive. So many in the church are trying to put their hope in making the nation Christian. Look through history when the church governed the nation. Here's what the problem is. You see, and you don't have to look that far, even just go into the Bible if you look in the Bible, all under the old covenant, they were expected to keep the laws. If they kept the laws, they were blessed. The problem is the law cannot change you. Only the power of God can. So the difference between a Christian nation, which is a nation which has got a legal or law system based on the principles of God's word, it will definitely be better than living in an ungodly one. But the kingdom of God, the laws are written in your heart. 
the Spirit of God changes your heart. You actually agree with the King and want to please Him. You want to do things because you want to please Him. See, it's not external. Religion will be external and can never change anyone. Just tell you, don't do that, don't wear that, don't bump. Listen, it stops all that nonsense. Get into your heart your desire to please the King and now you'll find your life will start to come into alignment with him in so many different ways. You know, yeah. Okay, it's gotten laws. Okay, I better... And, and if you don't understand this concept of kingdom, it'll lead to permissive living. And this is why you've got so much of the church is just living crazy. They think by living that way that grace covers it all. I'm sorry, that's a deception. It's a deception. Jesus made it very clear, if we live ungodly lives, we cannot enter his coming kingdom in the sense of being able to rule and share with him in his governance. Oh, getting all quiet, getting very quiet now. Okay then, so, so let's just give the fourth one. Here's the fourth one. And uh, the fourth aspect of the kingdom is a territory or a realm. So the territory is the land and all the resources. Now here's the interesting thing about it. If you go into the old, uh, first of all, the kingdom of God, first of all, the kingdom of God has a territory. So what's God's territory? Well, he owns everything. If you can see it, he owns it. So if he owns it, everyone else is just a steward. You can't even take any of it with you. So why are you so obsessed with it? Learn just how to steward it. So God owns everything because he made it all. Not only made it all, he redeemed it all too. So everything in the Lord. So Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof, the world and everyone that lives in it. And not only that, in Jeremiah 27, 5, he says, I give power over the world or over various aspects to whoever I want. So don't get fussy and angry about who's in government. You're in trouble with the word of God. He says, I give it to whoever I want. He said, did God choose that? No, maybe he's allowed it to bring about a repentance in the nation from walking ungodly. You've got to really see things from God's perspective. Don't just get caught up in the reaction to what's going on around us. So in, in the Old Testament, interesting that God told, remember God told the people of Israel that he had land that they would possess for eternity? Okay, get this. He never gave them the ownership of the land. He just gave them a delegated right to live there and steward it. And he reserved the right, if they were disobedient, to remove them from the land. Hello. Now that's got some interesting implications. None of anything we own, we're just a steward of it, and God reserves the right, if it pleases him, to remove you from it or it from you. So don't get caught up with owning stuff. Focus on stewarding things for God. That's what kingdom mentality is. In the world, everyone wants to accumulate and own and exploit and whatever. And in a moment, God can just, they can die. They can lose it overnight. Someone, it's just taken away. You see it happening all the time. But if, if you're just a steward of something, then God can give it, God can remove it, God can add to it, God can increase it. It's all God's decision. All my role is, is to be faithful in stewarding it. So how faithful are you in stewarding what God's given you? Ooh. It's real quiet when you try to apply. So uh, let me just get to the last part then. And so basically when Jesus, the, the problem when you study on the kingdom of God is it seems to be contradictory in the Bible. But if you can just see it really essentially in two ways. Jesus presented it. It's an invisible kingdom that comes and enters into the heart of man to change them now. 
And not only that, and that's why Jesus said, if you want that to happen, John 3, you must be born again, born from above, if you want to see and enter the kingdom of heaven. So God says an invitation to everyone to come into the kingdom of heaven. How can I get into the kingdom of heaven? Very, very simply. I am invited to come in, but there is a way. It's called Jesus. Whoever shall believe in his heart and confess with his mouth, Jesus Christ is. Yeah, well, why don't we just say king? Because that's what Lord, Lord is the supreme ruler, a king. And Lord of Lords means he's the king of kings. He's an emperor. King of kings means an emperor. So, so coming into the kingdom requires I acknowledge the Lord, the kingship of Christ, his right to rule, and I submit to it and invite him to save me from sin and to bring me into his kingdom as a son or daughter and a citizen of a new kingdom. Make sense? So, so that's how you enter the kingdom now. Now, the problem is that the Bible also talks about the kingdom coming. And so it talks about a coming entrance to the kingdom. So that's what gets some people confused in the scriptures a bit because they think, have I entered the kingdom now? Yes, I have. It is now inside me and I'm a citizen of that kingdom. However, Jesus also spoke in many places right through the Bible of the kingdom coming in great power and glory physically into the earth. It will be seen across the world. It will come and conquer the earth. It will not come quietly in little church meeting, somewhere worshiping Jesus. This will be spectacular and dramatic. So the Bible talks about the spectacular and dramatic entrance to the kingdom. How about that? So dramatic, physical, yet to come. In Matthew 16, 27, the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in all the glory of his Father and reward everyone according to what they've done. When John saw it, he saw it as something spectacular and he said it's so spectacular it would cause people either to rejoice or be terrified. So when the Lord returns and the opportunity of experiencing His kingdom becomes into its fullness at that point, on that day, some will live in terror of that day. Others, this is their payday. It says in 1 Corinthians 15, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So to enter this coming kingdom, it can only happen through the first resurrection. And that will only happen to us if we have served Him faithfully. I'll touch more on that next week. But what a spectacular thing. And this is what the Bible calls our hope. Our hope. Our hope. It's when we will manifest our sonship. It says all of creation, Roman 8, is awaiting the manifestation of this. Creation's not waiting a change of government. It's waiting, it's waiting a change of government. You understand, not a natural government. It's awaiting for the government of the king to be established. And at that point, those who have prepared and walk with God, bought the fruit of the kingdom and served him, he will manifest and honour them and they will share with him in establishing his kingdom. You will enter it in its fullness. Right now you can enter it in your spirit. You can start to experience its blessings 
deliverance is the kingdom coming upon you. We can see God come upon us, but there is a day when it will come in its fullness. And that is the day that's called the hope that we eagerly await for. Yet I don't know how many Christians eagerly await that. It says in Colossians, and I pray this pretty well daily, so I know these verses, because this is the hope. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, the things of the kingdom, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your affection, set your heart, your desires, your will, your purpose on things which are above. And when Christ our life shall appear, you shall appear with Him in glory. And notice, make it a priority of the things of God. That's the only way we can qualify for the glory that's to come. That's why Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. It's like a treasure hid in the field. It's like a pearl of great price. When you see it, everything else will pale and you'll say, I want that. Sometimes when I pray, I just weep over that verse. And when He appears, I shall be like Him, for I shall see Him as He is and appear in glory with Him. That is the hope of the church. That is the hope of believers. That is what motivates you to give your life to serve God, to embrace His process of changing you, transforming you, making you different, healing you, delivering you. That's why you get into all those things. If it's just to get rid of the pain, it won't last. But if it's because I am committed to my Father's will and His will is to make me like His Son. Why don't we close our eyes right now? I can feel the presence of God just suddenly come. You feel the presence of the kingdom. I thought the Lord just... Ask me just to extend an invitation. For some people here who are struggling with anxiety, if you're struggling with anxiety and fear, I want you to make your way to the front right now. The Bible says if we seek first the kingdom of God, the things we need will be added to us. And he tells us it's in the context of being anxious. The spirit of the world is a spirit of anxiety. It chokes the life of God. I want to pray for you to be free. If you're struggling with anxiety and fear, would you just come quickly to the front right now? Just come, come. Don't hold back. There's a moment, a window, and I believe God wants to encounter you. Deliverance is the manifestation of the kingdom of God now. When you come, close your eyes. Make Jesus your center, not me. And I want you, before we pray for you, I want you to repent of agreeing with fear and anxiety. Break your agreement with it. It's probably come in at a point in time. Ask the Lord to show you where it came in and to heal that wound. I felt the other Lord show me there's, there's other people here and over the period of the COVID season for the last three years, your body has become, uh, it's just lost energy. You become quite weak physically. I felt the Lord speak to me wants to heal people who are struggling with physical weakness because of the experiences they've been through. Would you come? Just come right now. 
believe God for a miracle in your body that your energy and strength will be restored back to you. Would you come? Would you come? There's several people like that. Just come right now. Just come. Come quickly. Come quickly. There's a number of people. That, that thing has had such an effect on you. God wants you to have your strength back. So we will pray for you to be set free of that weakness. And I want you then to engage every day in prayer. Start to build praying in the Spirit. Start to build your spirit man and start to just get out walking and praying and involving yourself with God. Start to make your body do what it's reluctant to do. Push the boundary. Push the boundary. I've noticed, you know, when I got a bit had a hip operation, I kind of lost the capacity to walk any distance and so my prayer life was affected by that. So I've worked so I can actually consistently get up and walk and pray. And I found the walking and the praying, they, they work together to energize my inner being. So if you've got fear and anxiety, just lift your hands to the Lord right now. We want to pray for you. If you're weak in your body, you need healing, just raise a hand just right now. I'd like a ministry team, just calm people to know the minister. I'm just going to lead in a prayer. I'm going to pray to break the power of these things. I'd like people to lay hands and just believe for God to come. So those of you standing here, if you're, if you're struggling with fear and anxiety, just right now break your agreement with it. Ask the Lord to set you free. Father, I stand in apostolic office in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I take authority over the spirit of anxiety, spirit of anxiety and the spirit of fear and torment. I break your hold now. I command you loose and go from people now in Jesus' name. I speak to the spirit of infirmity that causes weakness. I command you go from bodies now. Go from people now in Jesus' name. We release the healing power of God. Ministry team, come and lay hands right now.